Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The show you're about to listen to was originally a live-streamed actual play on Twitch.tv slash UnmadeGaming. Arise, minions, and welcome to this Unmade Gaming production. Join us on our adventures as we take a jump to the left, a step to the right, and time warp beyond the veil to find out exactly what happens when you take the path less traveled. In this original Tales from the Loop actual play, Atari Twilight, Age of Always. Everybody, I'm going to go around and talk to my wonderful cast. Thank you very much, Mike. Thank you, Unmade Gaming Community, for once again allowing us to uh, travel back in time here on Atari Twilight. But before we do that, I'm going to go around. I want to talk to my players. Players, please tell us who you are, who you will be playing, and per the events of last episode, what discipline are you studying in the between? The age of always. Everybody was kind of given a task by Randall Flagg, a, uh, a a subject in which they needed to become experts. Please let me know what that is. So let's start with G. All of the above, please. Hi, my name is G, your friendly neighborhood lightning invoker. And today I'm playing Scarlet Blake. She is the resident jock of the group. And uh, last uh, episode, she decided to. Well, she wants to protect her friends, and to do that, she must learn the art of war, essentially. From exactly. Mr. <laughs> right, the art of war as understood by the age of always. Fantastic, mm-hmm. my friend. Let us spin down to Chris. Chris, all of the above. Hi, I'm Chris, aka Necro. Um, I am playing Ricky Lewis, who is also a jock, um, but not quite as jock-ish as Scarlet. Um, <laughs> He decided to study the Eternity Road, the way to travel um, through the age of always and through places. How? You don't know. Right. Um, given the task last session of just understanding the road, um, different little traits and tactics given to you by Randall Flagg, yours in particular, Ricky, was holding your hand over but not touching the black asphalt of Eternity Road. Um, until you could feel the heat coming off it, which Ricky can't at this time. Very good. Let's spin over to Bacon. Bacon, my friend, all of the above. Hello. Well, I am Bacon. I am playing Jesse J.D. Davis. Uh, He is a bookworm. Last time, um, J.D. chose People of Always. And uh, I believe it was the Ferryman and Bishop that I kind of 
got a little closer to. Correct. Correct. And so you were tasked with understanding two of the few denizens, permanent denizens of the age of always and the, and the between, um, the ferryman and the bishop. As you would look in on them, you would learn about them. And somehow those very entities would feel an affinity mechanically towards J.D. Excellent, my friend. And last, but certainly not least, Melissa, all of the above, please. Hi, y'all. Melissa Meyer. I am playing Heather Jones, uh, who is our resident weirdo. Uh, and she is following her heart and learning magic. Fantastic. And as told by Randall Flagg, magic here in the age of always is something that um, isn't read from a book or uh, the wave of a wand. It is something that must come from inside the person. And to do that, you must remove the soil or the taint of the world in which you've come from. A world without magic will taint the soul of somebody who could do magic. And to cleanse oneself, much like in the waters of Lake Minnetonka, you must ride the waterfall down, cleansing yourself as you go until eventually Heather is clean and she is able to cast magic as if she were born to it. But we will see all of that as we get further into this session. My friends, the time has come again. The age of always calls us. Can you hear it? It sings a song from our youth, one that we loved, but one that we have long, long since forgotten. Still it sings, calling us again to a world of adventure, calling us to return to our friends, Ricky, Heather, Scarlett, and JD, Van Halen, their fateful yet fearful friend. The cowardly lion, Big Purr, waits to stand beside them. Randall Flagg, villain, wizard, knight, Teacher, has he turned over a new leaf, or perhaps an old one? They are all there, right where we left them. And so the forgotten song is remembered, word by word, line by line. The memory of the tune forms. It's a time for us to fly back to the age of always, so lift your eyes and your voices. For today, today with our friends, we sing a forgotten song of youth. For today, today is a fine day. Welcome again, my friends, one and all, to Atari Twilight, The Age of Always, Episode 2, Behind Stars and Under Hills. My friends, when we ended our last session, you were told that a week had passed in The Age of Always from the moment that you arrived at the cabin. Seven days, seven nights have eclipsed and have passed. I have a role that I would like have made. But if there's anything that you all would like to do mechanically from then until now, anything that would be, say, a conversation between two PCs or between a PC and an NPC, anything that would require role-playing, we'll wait. This is the acclimation period for our characters as, as these seven days have come by. And unless you tell me otherwise, I assume that you have been studying per the mandate of Randall Flagg, studying war studying the ability to travel along Eternity Road, studying the people of the age of always, and studying the magic that seems to surround this place, yet remains untouched by those that still carry the taint of the real world. But here as we go, I will ask for my first role, while the rest of you see if there's anything else you would like to do. Bacon, J.D. made mention of something 
during our last session, he wanted to look around the cabin for something that might be personal, um, not necessarily seemingly out of place, but something that might hold a little bit more weight for Randall Flagg. I'm going to allow you to make two rolls. If the first one fails, you may make the second. If they both fail, you've uncovered nothing during this week. But let's go ahead and I'd like you to roll an investigate roll for me to start. All right. Here's the first one. <sighs> Looks like we will need have no need for that second one. My friend, since you only needed one success, if you would, and you will likely need to remind me of this because Greg is getting old and has a lot on his mind, um, you have a free success for investigate going forward. So you can bank one of those. And if I ask you to roll investigate, you already have a success that you can pull from for this session. As you are looking around and as you kind of, all of you are kind of be, you've been told that the cabin is your home. Uh, mechanically speaking for the Tales from the Loop system, this is your hideout, your headquarters, the place where if you suffer a condition, you can go and have it removed if you spend enough time here. This is your Sancta Sanctorum. This is your fortress of solitude. Um, enemies don't appear here. This is safety. And so, Bacon, as JD looks around over the course of this week, um, there's a lot of interesting things in the cabin. It's, it's nothing like a museum piece or nothing like it's on display, but there are, are pictures of places that you know don't exist back in Garrett or the world that you come from. You know, beautiful landscapes that hold just a bit too much orange in the sky. Um, none of those really stand out, though, as having either a principal subject that would require further thought. But as you're looking around, the focal point for the cabin is the fireplace. And there are many things on the mantle of the fireplace. Um, uh, there are old, broken 45 records of Elvis Presley. Uh, things that you know would probably, given... Uh, Randall's occupation as a, a disc jockey back in Garrett with uh, under the pseudonym of Jackie Emrock, um, something that he would probably have a, a kinship to, you know, something about music. But there's one thing in particular, as you look through this, this, this house, this home of Randall Flagg, there is a mason jar sealed. You can tell that there's wax around the inside of it in a way that someone would preserve jam or, or vegetables after the growing season. You can see that the wax has sealed the metal ring around the top of the mason jar, but the mason jar is completely empty. No preservatives, no, 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 or preserves, no vegetables, um, except for one unspent bullet. J.D., you have noted this, and I will say because of your role, the only way the others would recognize it as something to note would be you telling them. So I leave it up to you, Bacon. If J.D. says, hey, what, you know, the hell's up with this? Everybody will know. If you elect to kind of keep it to yourself, this ping on your investigation, this, this item of interest that seems to kind of been drawn into your focus, uh, remains something that is just a little secret between you and, oh, anybody that you might talk to on a regular basis. Okay. I'll keep it secret for now. Very well. 
uh, the rest of my friends as you are and and bacon included, if there's something else you would like to do, is there anything that you would have wanted to do during this time that would require a role? You know, if there was a, uh, you name it. Um, and I will let you know any kind of heavy RP or questions or things like that. We'll, we'll devote to a scene between characters and NPC. But if there's anything mechanical that we would like to get out of the way now, we absolutely can. Let me know while I take a fine drink of this soda. Please, please, not all at once. Okay, if we're good, then my friends, we will begin on this the eighth day of your time in the age of always. Now, um, Greg, I there's a couple of things that I think Heather would like to do that aren't necessarily roles, but would have happened in the last week. Okay. Can we do um, those? Let me put it to you like this. Is there something that you would, uh, does this involve another character? It involves it involves another character, but not necessarily roles. Uh, it is not a scene necessarily between two characters. Um, uh, and then, well, one of them does. And then the other one, no, is just is just herself. OK, let's do the one that's just Heather right now. And if there's anything that we need to kind of push to this week, um, and the reason why I'm not dismissing anything that people want to do, this is going to be a, like a week of acclimation. Um, no matter what really transpires during this week, we're going to end up in the same spot because this is this is kind of the natural length of time that is, you know, to get ready for the age of always to begin, you know, studying these new traits. And so a, a, a bit of time has passed without too much eventful happening. Um, but please, Melissa, what would you like to have Heather do? I know that you've sent me some things we we have them so queued up. So uh, the things I sent you is not uh, this bit. Uh, this okay, is good, good. about how she would approach her study of uh, magic and the waterfall. Okay. Okay. Um, so I think, and, and are you all right with that? We move forward sure, with that or do you want to yeah. wait until later in the week? Okay. So I think that um, last the first night or the first day she uh, ascended the cliff at about at 10 feet. Is that right? Mm -hmm. um, I think having uh, considered it, Heather has a, she's, she's maybe a, a bit too sensitive uh, to have grit, but I think uh, she certainly has built over her lifetime, a great deal of determination. And so having not, uh, made much progress in that first day. I think that she'll approach the cliff face a little bit differently this time, and um, with the goal of ascending all the way to the top, so up to fifty feet. Okay. Um, can I make a DM's bargain with you here? I yes. absolutely love to do this. Would this be something that on day two? Heather would attempt, or is this something that at least the summit, the fifth, the highest point, the 50 foot ledge to jump into the waterfall and ride it down? Is that something that would happen on day three or four? When do you think Heather gets the gumption to leave the 10 foot ledge and go to the 20 to 30 and then ultimately the 50 foot ledge? I think that her mindset going into that second day is to get there, but that does not necessarily mean that she accomplishes that fact. She is terribly frightened of heights. 
And uh, so I, I imagine she would have found herself uh, frozen, possibly halfway up, and maybe wouldn't even have uh, done more than one waterfall dive in, in that day. And perhaps by the third day, she might be able to uh, reach the summit. Okay. Okay. So here's what I want you to do. If you would, um, I would like you to roll a force or a move as you climb, but I want you to do so with the temporary condition of scared. And everybody, if you could go to your Spotify playlist, um, since Heather is making a go for this, making an, uh, an attack run, um, please go down and queue up track number four, Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic by the Police. Uh, zero successes. You may push. You may use luck. You may use your pride. Can you remind me, uh, luck, does that refresh? Every session. Every session. Unless I tell you otherwise, but yes. Um, yes, she will use luck. Sure thing. And we'll go with scared. Nope. Okay, here's my bargain. That scared condition becomes, well, permanent for this session until you remove it. And I'll let you make the top. If you go back down, we'll take scared away. Uh, she'll do that. We'll take we'll take the scared condition. Very good. So help me with this narrative, Melissa, as Heather is climbing to the uh, lyrics of Sting. As you climb finally 10 to the 20 foot ledge to the 30 foot ledge, the rocks around the waterfall uh, uh, begin to, it, it, there's more moisture up here. They begin to get a bit slicker. This is uh, augmenting the fear as you have more of that, the kind of the, that proximity to the actual droplets and the mist that are being blasted off the top of the waterfall as it leaves one plane and drops to the lake below. Is there anything in particular that she would be thinking during this climb? Is there a motivation? Is there a, um, a fear, you know, of uh, perhaps not performing or, or, you know, something that would keep her going forward, whether it is fear or motivation that ultimately does it, I'd like to know. I think um, she has a deep motivation to um, achieve what Randall promised her that the waterfall can achieve, that is to be washed away of all the stains on her spirit, on her soul. Um, and beyond that, the thing that she prizes more than anything else in the world are her friends. And um, she believes that this is the thing that she can do best as a gift for them. Perfect. And so with those motivations, um, you're able to take the top. And this ledge isn't necessarily a ledge. This is the level that the river 
that rushes and becomes the waterfall is on. So as you pull yourself up this final climb, you are gifted with the, the highest vantage point you have had here in the age of always. This is the highest point that you can see from the cabin. This is the highest point that you have seen anywhere in the age of always. This is the, the peak. Now you, in the distance, in your immediate kind of viewing, you can see that there are higher hills and mountains out there, but they are, they are farther away. This seems to be a spire or at least a, a, an area that sticks out in this particular region. What are you looking for is you and you alone, much like how JD viewed the bullet in the mason jar, you and you alone have this vantage point, have this insight. What are you hoping to glean? I think as she's climbing over the top, like all the way, all the way up, she has barely been able to look down and uh, she has been, you know, because the thing she has learned in life is that if she can't see it, that fearful thing isn't actually there. Right. So she tries very hard not to see the things that are frightening in the world. Um, so she's avoided looking down the entire way. And the moments that have been most fearful for her have been when she's had to glance down in order to get a foothold or in order to, you know, uh, grip, grip a rock more tightly. So she pulls herself over the edge here. Her uh, adrenaline is high. She's she's barely able to think. And I think she just kind of scrambles as far away from the edge as she possibly can, gasping for air. And uh, you say that this is the very top of the summit. There is some room here for her to turn around. Well, she moves as far away from the edge as she can, as soon as as soon as she possibly can. Exactly. Um, And it's only after a couple of like very rapid gasps for air and calming herself down that she that she turns to look at the vista around her, and she looks. she she can barely even look down at that point, but she's looking out and around and she does take that moment to mark any um, any points of interest in the landscape that she might see. Roll me a D6. One. Fantastic. So as you look around up here, there's a couple things that I'm going to give you for free. You realize that the emergence of the the river that becomes the waterfall that uh, falls down into the lake below, 50 feet down into the lake below, um, quickly goes underground. You see that there is a kind of a bubble rise behind you of about 12 to 15 feet. And it's a kind of a stack of rocks. And beneath that, rushes the water out from underneath its edge. It's not a cave per se. It just seems to be more of like a fissure that just has the water kind of erupting from this almost like a broken mouth of these stacked rocks. And it rushes out and down over the cliff. And as you look around, you see more of the same. Again, everything in the age of always, at least this particular region that you've been in, when you look around, It's the weather aspects that are the most disconcerting at first. You see rain in one area. You see snow in another. The vibrancy of new growth of spring, the the deadening and barrenness of uh, the leaves falling in fall mixed with the foliage of autumn. Um, All of the seasons are represented in all of the trees and all of the, the forestry that is around you. 
But it's one thing that stands out as you look around. You notice too, and Heather would know this probably more than everybody else because she does wear glasses. Your vision seems to be pristine up here. You don't see any drop off. Like when you look out, it's almost telescopic in how far you can see. You, you keep that crispness of near vision of, of 50 feet. You keep that 50 foot range of uh, a description and interpretation and relief at 100, 150, 500. Everything seems to just be in focus here in the age of always. And as you look around, you see the forest, you see these distant peaks, you see these distant hills, the snow, the rain. But the one thing that stands out is the winding eternity road that creeps through kind of like a ribbon through the middle of this area. It has the forest splits for it. The forest uh, gives it a wide berth. And the black of the road with its intermittent dotted yellow line down the middle is the anomaly in this realm of nature. And as you turn to look beyond that kind of past where the broken mouth and the water rushing out is, you see the shore and you see the ocean beyond it. You can't, it's almost hard to say how many miles away this is because your vision is so perfect when you see it. But when you look over and you follow that rocky, pebbly beach up, you see that there is a castle sitting along the shore. And beneath that castle, along the, the beach and the ocean where it's crashing against the rocks beneath this cliffside castle is a giant red bull. And the bull is aflame. You can see the distortion in the air above it. And it paces back and forth. And even at this distance, you can see where its fiery hooves hit the sand. Glass hoof marks are left as it pulls it away. The sand beneath it fused into a new mirrored surface. And it paces for as long as you watch. I think um, when uh, Heather can't, catches a glimpse of that, she would gasp inwardly, uh, having uh, recognized it uh, from a, a book she read by Peter S. Beagle. Um, she, uh, uh, um, she'll note that, she'll note that, she'll note the beach, uh, where it curves, where the castle is, how it relates to um, the fissure from which the waterfall falls, the, where the river flows, uh, where the road is in conjunction with all of those things and also how all of those things relate to the cabin and where the cabin is. Um, I'll give you this kind of broad based view of what you're saying in relation to the road, the cabin and the castle with the bull beneath it, the castle and the cabin are on your side of eternity mm -hmm. road. Mm -hmm. Eternity road does not have to be crossed to get to the castle. Good. Um, having noted that, um, I think she is going to, um, she's going to approach the waterfall, um, and, um, she waits, I think, until her, her heart slows a little bit and then, and then she's going to speak to it. Um, and she's going to say, um, flag told me about how the world stains the soul. And I guess 
Uh, he's right. Sometimes it feels like the world is nothing but heartache and like the darkness of, of it all could swallow me up. Like it's creeping into my soul. You know, uh, what I don't tell them all is I, I don't think that I'm a very good person. When I think of all the things I could have done or said, if only I'd had the courage to. When I think of all the things that I shouldn't have thought or said or done, well, then I, I know that I'm not worthy of your gift. But you've got to believe that I don't want to be that way. I I want more than anything to be one of the good ones, you, you know, to to be like like Ricky. I I bet he'd only have to dip his toe in your water, you know, because he has. Well, his heart is so pure. But I'm just so I'm so angry and I'm so afraid. No matter how hard I try, I can never quite seem to find my way to that openness of heart and goodness of spirit. And I think I've known all along that I'm the one that's holding me back. So I surrender. And I hope that you see me as I am and who I was. But mostly, I hope you see me for who I want to be. And then I think she, uh, not an elegant dive or, or, or even like a, uh, I don't know, a powerful, what do you call those balm when you roll up in a ball? Um, cannonball. Cannonball. Thank you. <laughs> uh, she will instead just allow herself to fall. And I think that when she enters that water this time, she'll have prepared for what she wants to hold in her mind. And also, she's going to try to hold on to something to help suspend herself in the waterfall longer. Okay. And uh, what will be on her mind, I think, is first she's going to think back to the dream that she had uh, way back when she was age four at the edge of innocence when it was so easy to take delight in all of the simplest things in life. And then she's going to remember also those fleeting moments when she forgot and she set aside all of her baggage, you know, those moments of pure joy and safety. Uh, and, you know, probably a lot of these were when she was hanging out with the keystones in the attic. And I think she's also going to remember all the endless moments when she promised herself that she was going to be good enough, you know, finally, finally good enough. Because I'm a big softy, please remove <laughs> your scared condition. And I would like you to roll something for me, Melissa, but that's okay. something cannot be investigated. That is what you rolled last time. I need you to pick something else to roll and do so now. One success. One success. As you fall down and you, as you describe it, you just let yourself go. 
uh, the clothing that you have on that, that had remained dry as you made your climb like that on the right-hand side of Heather immediately becomes soaked as you are enveloped in the falling water. But as you fall down and as Heather's arms kind of reach, as you reach for anything to suspend yourself in this water for just another moment, another beat, another uh, blank, almost as if someone is accepting or, or taking you to dance, you feel a hand wrap in your left. Uh, what feels like an arm kind of curl around your back in proper dance hold. And you hear in your head the first couple notes of music. And you hear, and we danced like a wave on the ocean romance. We were liars in love and we danced. And you splash into the water. And for a moment, as you hit the water and go beneath the lake surface, propelled by the falling water behind you, you twirl a bit beneath and you can feel that too as part of the dance. And it isn't until you reach the surface to, to regain air that you feel that the dance has ended for now. As the sun is there, we will pull back from Heather and we spin around the sky and we watch the sun crawl and dip and crawl and dip and crawl and dip for several days until we zoom down again to the area of the lake. But before we reach the dance floor of Heather, we spin into the woods to a lean-to. We whip through the leather curtain keeping back the steam and the smoke inside. We see a bubbling cauldron, much like a miniature version of something that a hag would sit around and, and promise the demise of pesky villagers. But this small cauldron sits in bubbles and inside of it, an image like a television shows JD, the people in which he is focusing on here in the age of always. My friend, as you look around and as you begin to take these things in. I would like everybody to go to your Spotify playlist. And if you would, throw on a little Phil Collins in the air tonight. Bacon, it's towards the end of the day. And as you would know, um, Randall told you to look upon these people until sundown. Your job is to observe them. And over the course of the week that you have been here observing this entity, this person known as the bishop. You've watched her as she conducts her, her, her worship, her, her, her church services in the cathedral in which she lives. You would see the ferryman with his white turban leading a group of three travelers along Eternity Road. And for the first couple of days, that's what you observed. You saw them just doing their jobs, basically. The bishop, you know, tending to her flock. The ferryman being a ferryman and taking people through the areas. But it was about the third day that you realized you started to be able to feel what they felt. You were able to tell that the, the ferryman is bone weary. 
He is exhausted beyond the comprehension of someone that hasn't reached the level in which he is tired, but he never shows it. He is constantly helping people along the road. He goes from one group to the next, but he has been with this group of three a little bit longer than, um, you know, for the last two days that you've watched, it's the same group. They seem to be traveling. They seem to be on some grand quest, but um, again, the ferryman feels this, 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 absolute lethargy this you're not sure exactly how to put it into words because as a anybody that is is you know fortunate enough to be healthy this type of exhaustion is seldom felt it's on day five you realize that he is sick and that there is some illness that is ravaging the ferryman um again he does not show it he always has a smile his teeth as white as the turban that he wears. Um, but there's something that is wasting away that he dares not show. With the bishop, as you watch, you begin to feel her loneliness. You begin to feel her, her absence, even though she is surrounded by these, these worshipers and these practitioners and these people that seem to be dressed the same way that she is, that seem to be... Um, a part of this flock, a part of the same mindset that she is, you realize that everyone that's around her is transitory. They seem to be someone that is here because of the world that is in phase with the age of always. And when that world goes away, everyone disappears but the bishop. And when a new world phases in, she gets her flock back. Those that have joined her in the past, presumably, return to her when this brief union is in place, but then quickly they are replaced as that world phases away. And you feel that loneliness from her. And so as you learn of these two and you watch them conduct their business and you watch them kind of live, you are beginning to do more than walk in their shoes. You are beginning to slowly throw a shoulder and an arm into their souls. And you can feel what it is to be a ferryman, to be the bishop. I'd like you to roll me investigate as this is the end of the day of the eighth day of your time in the age of always and you are watching the bishop i will allow you to use luck pride push or nothing to lift you mm, i'll go ahead and use my luck okay fantastic so with that luck use and one success, the ring, the one ring in your pocket speaks up. Something's not right. And for the first time, you are taken away, your vision is taken away from the focus of it being the bishop to deeper into the cathedral as the ring, almost, almost like it's putting its arm around your shoulder and pointing to something that you didn't notice. Look there. Look right there. And it, the ring says, see those two in the rear of the cathedral. They are not praying. Not like the others. They are watching the bishop. One of them seems to be doing something. We must get closer. Okay, let's get closer then. Only stealth at a plus three, but only if you use the ring. 
Hmm. So three bonus dice? Correct. I am covered up, so I'm assuming that's one success. Yep. Very good. So for the first time, almost like you're in a play, but instead of the central characters of the play in the middle of the stage, you kind of push past the bishop as you move to the back of the cathedral. She's still at the front doing her her prayers, her evening prayers, getting into the same time of day that you are, you know, here at sundown. And as you get closer to these two hooded monks, they appear to be, um, the first monk speaks in a, a deeper voice. I believe her power can be pruned, but not here. Her will is too strong in the cathedral. We must draw her out. The second monk leans over conspiratorially, a lighter voice emanating from beneath the hood. We are running out of time. Our phase will end soon, and with it, any chance at her. First monk, we need a distraction, something juicy to draw her from this place. Are there any travelers along Eternity Road? The ferryman is taking three toward the castle by the sea. But there's no way the bishop will move against them. Perhaps aggression is not the way to approach this dilemma. Let's tell her that they require aid. Perhaps even orchestrate the need for aid. First monk nods. Yes. Assemble a squad to ambush the ferryman and his charges. We need one of them grievously wounded, one that isn't the ferryman. With a hurt traveler, it will be harder for him to use the road to find aid. It will hinder his efforts and corner him into contacting the bishop. Second monk nods, and when she leaves, we will have her. And then all you see is steam as you pull back from the cauldron. Your daily ritual at its end. You don't hear anything from the ring, but you feel concern. Eventually it says, what was that all about? You couldn't hear? Couldn't hear the one. You could only hear the second. Sounds like they're planning something. Taking out the bishop by way of ferryman. Seems to bother you. I have been part of manipulations before, and I am not a fan of them. It's time for heroism. Mm-hmm. Do you think we could do something? We know where they are. Perhaps we could help. We could probably fix everything. Yes. It might be up to us, JD. Okay. How do I find the ferryman, though? I don't know how to navigate the path 
He is on the road. Just need to know how to get to him. We can intercept then. We can save our friends. We need not get injured and we could... We could be the hero. Heroes. That sounds good. Hmm. Let's go be a hero then. Jake, I must ask you one question before we... I need to have a partner. Do not need a master. Is this something we could be? Partners. That's agreeable. And I must share with you something. And I would ask you to do the same. Okay. I will tell you about my father. You tell me about yours. You go first. I'm sure you know who made me. Mm-hmm. I was birthed to control others. The trophy of dominance. I was a tool. I only knew love as a word. I am every bit a child of flesh and blood. And despite being made of metal, I am not as strong as it. I do not wish to return to tasks such as those that I have had in my youth. That is why I need a partner. Someone to walk the worlds with. Hero. Well, we're not so different, although... I don't have much to share about my dad. I didn't know him much. So we're, you were created for a purpose. Sometimes it feels like, you know, I wasn't. I was left, abandoned. Maybe that's where some of my fear comes from. But I think it's time to be a hero. I agree. You are abandoned no more, JD. I chose you. First time for everything. Let us pen our own adventures. We will be the ones that write the books now. I'd like that. Then a fellowship it is. <laughs> Shall we go? And with that, we leave the area. And the sun pivots back in the sky a little bit to give us 
few hours earlier as we spin through the air and we drop down into the perennial, a glade that consists of both spring, summer, autumn, and winter, and also numerous targets in each of these four seasons. There, Scarlet walks through these seasons, finding a target in each, and at the end, firing two shots into the air. Gee, tell me, what is Scarlet doing as she performs yet again, probably, if not, uh, you know, the 30th time today, you know, at some point, this is, you've done this quite a bit over the past week. What is the process of Scarlet as she trains in the art of war here in the age of always? What time of day is it for her? It looks like it's afternoon. Okay. She's been she's been up uh, since this before the sun rose over the the trees, and she's been starting her day every day this week uh, with a jog. Uh, maybe not a jog. She's been going full on sprinting through the woods and pushing herself uh, as as hard as she can. And then when she reaches the glade, she she's breathing heavily. She's dripping with sweat. And then she runs through um, the each season and firing her shots. And throughout the first week, the first seven days, she hasn't been able to hit anything. And by the eighth day, she... After her run, she's kicking rocks, as it were. And today, on the eighth day, she is not running through the the seasons. She is stomping <laughs> heavily through. And then she's got like a uh, a scowl on her face, and she's just like dunk, dunk, dunk. And then she turns, and then she just shoots, misses. Walk, 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 turns, shoots, misses, walk, 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 stomping her feet as hard and as loudly as she can, even though there's no one around to hear her. (laughs) Well, I was going to tell everybody to play Eye of the Tiger, but this doesn't seem like the Eye of the Tiger moment for Scarlett. So I'm going (laughs) to take my hands off the turntables and say, let's just take a moment and not do that quite now. This is a a bit of a, a conundrum. Um, Scarlet, if I were, gee, if I would, could you have roll for Scarlet? Roll anything but move. Just see how today. I'm going to roll fours. One success. One success. Okay. So despite being upset about what's going on, and it might not even be, you know, each season has a miss, just as you described it. But at the end, do you fire the two shots into the air? Yeah. And what are those two shots for? Oh, is this a quiz? One for the queen and one for <laughs> something else. <laughs> all the gunslingers that came before. Yes, you. all the gunslingers and the queen. And um, yeah, and it's 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 a more like a frustration type of mood. Like, yeah, she's just got like that teenage angst and frustration going. And then she misses. She's just like, when she gets to the end, she's just like, <sighs> and she kind of 
almost rolls her eyes and then up in the air, bang, bang. And then she'll turn around and go back to the beginning. As you bang, bang, and turn around to go back to the beginning, I'd like everybody to go uh, to your Spotify playlist and go down to track number 13 and cue up Thunderstruck for me, please, by ACDC. As you turn, I roll, fire two shots into the air, one for the queen, one for who fucking ever. Boom, boom. Whatever, yeah. Right. Uh-huh. You turn back around, and as you turn back to your position where Flag left the tin of bullets by the tree for you to reload, the tree crashes down, and you see a metallic <laughs> leg step forward. <laughs> And you see the silhouette of Alta 209 turn as the two barrel guns flip down from the sides and lock into place. You see that these revolving death begins to as it starts to spin up. Your gun is empty. What do you do, my friend? I think in this moment, she knows the gun is empty, but that's just like the back, the back of her mind. And I think she, she looks at it with like terror in her eyes and she drops the guns, both of them. And she turns and runs. You drop the guns to the ground as they hit the, the, the summertime grass and the perennial at the other end of the glade. And as you turn to run, you hear the belch of death as those bullets begin flying out and you see the trees and the forest in front of you being shredded on the right and the left as you are running for that space in between. And you flash back to Garrett as you run through the fields. You flash back to the, the age of always as you break through the tree line behind you. Alta 209 begins to run much faster than you remember it before. You can hear the whirring servos of its upgraded kind of hip positioning. You can hear the hydraulics as they whisper, much like the belch of death from these guns. They just, as it begins to sprint towards you. One of its giant feet sets down on the guns, mashing them into the ground bending their barrels and it pulls off its foot as it's running towards you. My friend, I need you to make me a move roll now. Right now? Yeah. Right the fuck now. Zero successes. You may push. You may use luck. You may use pride. I suggest you use something. Hmm. You suggest you re- you highly recommend I do something. I recommend. Um, well, she she's gonna push. And what condition will you take for the push? Um, she's gonna take injured because as she's pushing, she she pe- plants on her foot and she turns into the trees on her right foot and she feels a twinge in her ankle. The same ankle that she twisted before, eh? Mm-hmm. And she's going to 
keep moving. And I'm going to re-roll that. Oops. Bitch. <laughs> Did that roll with my with my condition? <laughs> it doesn't matter. You would have okay. three or one or three or two, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> so as you are, you know, Alta 209 seems to be fast, but again. You are faster still as Scarlet moves through the trees and Alta just breaks through them, running like the Hulk behind you, just splitting this timber out of the way as its guns do its dirty work, as its guns act as machete to get through this foliage. And you're running as you feel this thing, even despite your speed getting closer, but you're, you're able to move away, but you keep flashing back to Garrett. You keep seeing Garrett, same thing, only this time, there is no JD on a bike coming to grab you. You see yourself alone in this forest. Everybody turn off the music, please. You sit straight up in your bed in the cabin. Sweat pouring off of you. It's two in the morning, three in the morning. You're not sure there are no digital clocks in this place. But whatever you had on, the, the, the bedding, everything is soaked with perspiration. What do you do? And she sit, when she sits up, she's uh, breathing heavily and she's clutching the, the bed, the, the sheets and the blankets in her fists. And She shakily takes a breath and she um, wipes at her face and she's got tears coming out of her eyes. And she looks out the window into the into the, the darkness and she doesn't say anything. She doesn't say anything, but she just thinks, not again. And she's slowly gets out of bed, puts her feet down. As soon as you put your feet down, you hear kind of the tap of the paned glass that is, you just looked out of. And when your eyes are drawn back up, you notice that the window is actually open, that it has been pulled, it opens like a cupboard would open. And you see completely white with what looks like a bullet hole in his forehead and says, I died alone. We all died. Where were you? She screams. And as you scream, you pull yourself up off of the tree as you look around in the glade where you had taken a rest during your lunch break on the eighth day of your time in the age of always. But as you come to, as your, the, your own scream is ringing in your ears, you hear Ben's voice say again, where were you? I think... I think she sits there and she cries quietly to herself. And she 
she's sitting next to the tree that has the uh that Alta 209 busted down. I think she she as she cries, she turns and she punches the uh the the can of full of bullets over. Spills and out. She, yeah, she just and she just pulls her knees up to her and she puts her her arms down or her head down on her knees. Before we leave Scarlet, I want you to make actually you had a three success. So I'm going to give it. To you. Do you practice the rest of the day? No. Just, at some point around the time that you would be heading back to the cabin, whether you decide to do that is entirely up to you, G. But at the time that you would have normally left to go back to the cabin, you look up long enough either to wipe away tears or just observe your surroundings or just take a moment. And across the field, in the area of summer, or in your dream, you ran to escape all the 209. You see the silhouette of a, a thin man. The only reason why you believe that is there seems to be a beard that's long, nearly waist length. When you blink, that being is gone. And so are we, as we take flight again into the skies of the age of always. We spin around towards the heat of the day, still within the season of summer. Everybody, summer, right? Please go to your Spotify playlist and queue up a little Boys of Summer, track number three by Donald Henley. Ricky. Hi, Greg. How you doing, bud? I'm assuming you've been at it for a while. Hand over the eternity road. Um, been a lot of the same for you. Everybody else has things that they do. Climbing waterfalls and shooting shit. Sitting over cauldrons and watching stuff. Like TV, free diving and fucking skeet shooting. But you... You get to sit crisscross applesauce beside a fucking road. That's the short end of the stick, my friend. Um, but as you have your hand over the road, trying to feel that heat that has eluded you for this, now the almost the end of the eighth day, I'd like you to roll something for me, my friend. And if you could, do not roll force. I need someone. Uh, I can give you a move, Greg. Let's do that. No successes. You may use push, you may luck, or you may pride it for an automatic success. Up to you. Or you may do nothing. Uh, I don't care. Let's use luck. Why not? Three successes. Wow, that is a... Uh, <laughs> we've had some good uses of luck <laughs> so far this session. Uh, some solid everybody watching who may not be familiar with the Tales from the Loop system. This is a really good way to use luck. <laughs> Just do make sure your roles are just like everybody else's here today, because that's the easy thing to do. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't like this turns a switch or anything, but any feelings of maybe boredom or stagnation or am I doing this even doing this right? There's a measure of confidence that comes up within you, Ricky, whether it's born from inside you or maybe even from the road or from the age of always itself you have this this sense that you're on the right path no pun intended um 
you know, as you sit there and you just concentrate on your hand as it sits over the heat or over the trying to catch, trying to feel that heat that flag says, once you feel it, once you feel the heat coming off the asphalt, that is your attunement. That is your connection with Eternity Road. But as the way the flag makes it sound, Eternity Road is at least got a touch of sentience to it and that it can determine or select the people in which it allows to feel this heat. But as you're sitting there, kind of, I can only imagine, and I'm not trying to, you know, uh, presuppose what you're going to do here, but staring at one's own hand and sitting there, you're either going to have two different mindsets. You're going to go absolutely batshit crazy because that's boring. Or two, you're just going to kind of be somewhere else. But if there's something other than those two that's going on with Ricky, let us know. Like, how does Ricky, how does keep, Ricky keep his mind right as he's sitting there for hours at a time? You know, maybe switching hands and. Ricky's definitely switching hands because your arms get tired, right? Um, but he's used to boring, repetitive tasks. Um, Ricky's worked on a farm. Sometimes you have to sweep for hours. Um, but at least then you're doing something and you're not just sitting very, very still. Um, but I think his mind would tend to wonder a little bit. Um, he, rather than just staring at his hand, he would look up and start looking at the world around him, looking at the the age of always, looking at the trees um, down the road. Is anything moving? And then, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to concentrate for a bit uh, until his mind wanders again to what's around him. So it's, it's during one of those moments of kind of um, outward inspection where you move away from the road and kind of look at your surroundings that you notice that there is somebody on the road and they're about 10 feet away from you walking toward you. As their feet, the, their red boots kind of clack onto the asphalt, now gifting you with the sound of their approach, you see that it's a girl, 16, 17, dark hair. Um, at least you suspect it's dark. It might not all be dark because it's peeking out from underneath a, a, a cowboy hat, a tan cowboy hat with the that sides kind of curled up a bit. Um, it gives the, her head a bit of an, like a narrower look as she's walking towards you. Uh, and when she turns and looks, she's not wearing sunglasses or anything. You see that she has the tattoo of a flower beside her left eye. She is wearing what looks like a, a blue and white checkered shirt that likely probably at one point was a dress and had been converted into a blouse. Um, she's got camouflage pants and then red boots beneath those gathered kind of cuffs of the pants. Um, she has a backpack on canvas and there seems to be a white, pink and purple cat looking out of this canvas sack. She walks towards you and she stops. Are you learning to feel eternity road? He just gent gently nods. I can't hurt you. I can't get off the road, so. We're all fine. You can't get on here to hurt me because you're still trying to learn how to use it. We're all pretty much safe here. Um, so, I'm going to take a break. Is that okay? Feel free. She crisscrossed applesauces on the 
Eternity Road blacktop, about four or five feet kind of facing you. She's on the road and you on the gravel beside it. She reaches down and grabs a canteen of water, takes a drink and pours it back over her shoulder to the, the cat. And you hear her say there, don't drink it all, Eureka. All right. What are you doing here? L- learning, learning about Eternity Road. Learning about the age of always. She looks down the road where she came from and up the road where she's going. And she said, you know, not a lot of people do that. Well, not seen a lot of people here, so that would make sense. Okay, so if you don't mind me asking, I mean, it's kind of boring, but are you doing this for a reason or do you have a teacher or your parents nearby or? There's there's a reason. There's a reason for everything, right? Sure. Problems. Gotta go places. Gotta fix things, right? Are you going anywhere fixing anything? Hopefully. What's your name? He squints at her. Ricky. Dot. Nice to meet you. He looks across his, well, I would take your hand or something, but no. Right, we can't touch. Scary road. Don't touch the road. <sighs> so, is there anything I can do to help you, or fellow traveler? You're not. You're at the beginning of the journey. I'm. She looks up at the sky. I'm getting close. You got somewhere you going? EC, buddy. Was that DC or EC? Sorry. EC. EC. Emerald City. Oh, isn't, isn't that from a book? Is it? I don't read much, but I'm sure it's from a book. I think everything's from a book if you look hard enough. I mean, that, that's pretty true. But have you traveled the road long? A fair piece. Is there any, I could tell you, do you need to get anywhere? I could, can help you. I mean, if you'll let me, I can't take you anywhere or, you know. Well, I, I can't, I can't go anywhere. I just need to, need to learn. You've got to understand the road. Right, right. That's Here's your step teacher. one, right? Uh, I, I don't really like, know his name because he keeps giving Multiple. What the last time you said it was Jackie. Jackie. You know a Jackie? No, I don't know a Jackie. Um, describe him. I mean, uh, yay big. Hat, glasses. She cocks her uh, head. You're talking about Randall Flagg. That's what everyone else seems to call him, but he doesn't like using that thing. Oh, that's funny. He, he's, that's, he doesn't like that name. Wonderful. And you have a bang-up teacher there, so I'm sure everything will go swimmingly for you. What are you doing here? Well, under the tutelage of right? Professor Flagg. I need to use the road. 
for what purpose? He smiles again to get places. Where are you headed? Well, in all honesty, I don't really know. But step one is to figure out how to get places and then figure out what we've got to do when we get there or how we get there. It's complicated. You're certainly making it complicated, but that's okay. I mean, this is conversation and I've been bored as hell. So, all right, let's try a different you and me, tactic. Roll me a charm if you want to. <laughs> this is entirely um, up to you, Chris. Oh, uh, go on then. Why not? No successes. She looks at you and gets up and kind of dusts dust that isn't on her off. Um, and she's, well, it's a pleasure talking to you. But uh, a, a word of kind of assistance, maybe. I mean, I'm not a teacher, whatever. But stop trying to, like, feel the road's heat, which is, I assume, what you're doing when I walked up. Um, try to not feel it. And she kind of, smacks a boot down onto the asphalt of Eternity Road. Uh, Eternity Road is a bit of an egomaniac. Um, if you think or it thinks that it, you don't really care too much about it, it'll pay attention to you. It's like putting gum in the hair of the girl you like. You shouldn't put gum in someone's hair. Well, see, that attitude's not going to serve you well with the road. The road needs a bit of an ego. He looks down at the road. He, he, when she stood up, he stood up with her. And he looks down at the road and he goes, hmm, I can try. But I'm not sticking gum in someone's hair. Well, the road, as far as I know, doesn't have any hair to stick gum in. But if you sort of ignore it, it might stop ignoring you. Hmm. Don't flag that one. I, I'll give that a go. I've got, he looks up, I've got time. I can spend the rest of the day doing that. Save better than doing what I've done for the last days. Good save, she says. Um, <laughs> she stands up and again, kind of straightens herself up. Well, it was nice to meet you. Uh, if you ever find yourself in Emerald City, Dorothy Gale's the name. You may find me at any moment uh, simply by letting somebody know that you're looking for me. They always keep track of me when I'm in the city. So uh, Specifically in the city? Specifically in the city. When I'm not in the city, no one keeps track of me. I don't let them. Smart. It's another trick. Don't flag to teach you that one. And as she, gets, yeah, as she gets up, she looks up and she sees it's almost sundown. Um, you've got a little bit more time left, but she just looks at you and says, well, at some point you better head on home. There really is no place like it. And Wild. she starts. Thank you, Doc. Safe travels. She tips her hat and walks off. But Eureka the cat with the pink and purple and white 
splotches all over it that seem to shift as you watch. Keeps a good eye on you until a bend in the road takes Dorothy about 200 yards away from. Everybody, if you could, get your Spotify playlist just for shits and giggles because I like the song. Uh, Number 14, please. Over the rainbow. All right, my friends, at some point, and again, this is the eighth night, I leave this entirely up to anybody that decides not to come back. The cabin is expecting you as it is now sundown. And so as sundown happens, please show up in whatever order and whatever time you would like to as uh, the cook fire is going and Flag is preparing an evening meal. It seems to be chili, which is a new one for him, but it smells good. Uh, Scarlet does not come back. Okay. Uh, Ricky would return in his normal way. He, whenever he returns, he comes back with something. Um, water to top up the supplies, firewood to, again, top up supplies. Um, in, in the early days of the week, he would have built, like, porch slings to sit outside to give them somewhere they can sit. Um, and he brings along like a piece of wood and he leaves it on the on the railing next to which is little figurines that he of animals that he's seen in the age of always just carved sitting on the railing. Um, and he would step inside um, into the cabin. If there's no one else there, he walks up to to the kitchen to where Flag is. And says, uh, Met. Flag yeah. has an apron one that has uh, like chili stains on it. And it says, forget the cook, kiss the DJ. <laughs> Ricky walks up to the, to the counters and sits near, like not next to him, but near him. He says, I met a friend of yours today. I don't have any friends, right. so you need to describe that one a little bit better. Uh, dot, red boots, hat, weird looking cap. Oh boy. What'd she say? This will be fucking great. What'd she say? She gave me some advice with talking to the road and said, Well, she knows you a should lot about teach, it. But... Said, you should, I should get you to teach me how to get people to forget where I am or not know where I am. Not know where you are when you're in the age of always. That's yep. baby steps. She's throwing you in the deep end. Let's, I can do that. Let's just put a pin in it, but I can do it. We just, we know we got to learn how to training wheels aren't off yet, Ricky. You'd like her. She's just, a farm kid too. So of course, you know, I can see you all getting along famously, but just, she's a bit of a troublemaker, which is rich coming from me. I know, but whatever. Jeez. Yeah. I, I pretty, pretty sure everyone here is. What a troublemaker. I imagine that's why you're here, right? And we all not supposed to be here, but you're here. Well, I mean, I mean, who's a troublemaker? And again, you see the, the chili starting to bubble like off the side as he ignores it for a moment. What is, what's really a troublemaker? A troublemaker is somebody that breaks someone else's rules. Well, yeah, they're not my rules. Right. But they're someone's rules. Yeah, they're not mine. I didn't sign anything that said I had to follow them. You didn't sign anything that said you had to follow them. I didn't, I didn't know about the rules. I mean, just didn't tell me about the rules before we came, so 
there are no rules we have to follow. We didn't sign up to anything. We're not in service of the queen. But everyone else here knew about the rules and still breaks them, right? Ricky, roll me an empathize. And empathize. I'm stats, Greg. One success. It's not that dumpy. Um, Whenever he says we're not in service to the queen, it's that that kind of veil that's dropped since he doesn't have magic anymore, at least not to the extent that he did before. Um, you realize that there's something troubling him about that statement. There was a hitch in his normal demeanor. Ricky, after a pause, would look to me, says, why aren't you in service to the queen? Oh, so you see that wooden spoon? Grab that quick. As he looks down, there's, you know, big pops of bubbles coming off the chili. It's just going to burn on the sides. We need to get it off the sides. And he throws an apron over your head. It is the exact same. It says, forget the cook. Kiss the DJ. Uh, but he puts it around. He ties it behind you. Stir, stir the sides. You know how to do it? Stir the sides so it doesn't burn. All right. Yes, sir. Get on that. Where's everybody else? He goes to the door. Boy, oh boy. It's like herding cats. Like the one I saw today. And he just does the butt. Better than that fucking dog. He walks outside. <laughs> he looks around. Is anybody else on the way? Um, Heather's one to follow instructions to the letter. And on the first day, Flag told her to come back at sunset. And so as the sun sets, uh, Heather will return. Now, whether that is uh, at the moment that Flag steps out the door or it was before or after, I could not say. It would be burned on the same time. You'd probably be closing on the porch whenever he would walk outside and he would just basically say, again, you see the apron. There she is. How'd it go today? Uh, good. I, I, good, I think. Well, that's good. It's better than bad. How would I know? You feel good? I feel good. And it was good. Mm. What's her dinner? Jelly. Wow. So- sounds good. It's ready it now? It is good. It's getting there. As long as Ricky doesn't burn the sides. Ricky. Oh, he won't burn it. It'll be we'll delicious. Make, ah, he's a good kid. We'll make a cook out of him yet. Hmm. Did I, I get uh, anything, Heather? You? No, I don't think so. I think... Uh, like what did you just say? Sorry. You still don't like me? It's okay Should not I? to. Most people don't. Should I? Well, I mean, if I'm being selfish, I'd like it. Well, I think maybe that's something to earn. I can live with that. Do you see anything when you're out there? Specifically? Like a thin, kind of creepy guy? She's going to pause a moment and look at him, wondering if she should talk to him or trust him with information. And then she'll say, well, the first night I did, 
like a week ago you saw. Yeah. Not since though. Yeah. Uh, ain't much. Just don't. Don't uh. Don't be alone with him. That makes sense. Yeah, I think. You know, I told you the other day. I'm tired of people just being vague. Right. Tell me more. I will at dinner. Let's get everybody in there. I think it's high time I just kind of put out a general warning. All right. You see anybody else coming? JD, are you on your way or not? I think JD's trying to be a hero. Um, help, uh, your cat's still in there. And again, at the window, you just see the eyes of the lion peeking out, told not to leave unless with you, just staring, like, fate, nose kind of mushed up against the glass. Kind of glass that opens like a cupboard. I think, Sometimes uh, Heather's, Heather's, uh, Heather's gonna, like, slide around, flag. But like keeping way too much distance between them. So it's kind of awkward since flags like around the door looks awkward and and in and in like an intentional slight. And uh, and then just uh, she'll slip in and, uh, you know, her. Uh, I think her demeanor whenever she enters the house is the, the same type of behavior that, um, you know, is familiar to her from her home in Garrett. Uh, that is when she enters any room, she do her best to fade right into the background. Um, maybe not so much as like a, not like a wallflower, but more like a wall shadow, you know, except the difference between then and now is that now she has this gigantic cat, <laughs> all silver and gold and, uh, you know, catching the light of the fire. And so whenever she'll fade into the background in a corner, there's the cat that flumps right in front of her. Um, yeah. And that's exactly what happens. As soon as you enter, Kitty does not leave your side. Um, uh, telling you all about the things that, that, that he experienced throughout the day. You know, uh, most of the topics include, I think the mouse is back, you know, but <laughs> you're not sure if it is or not. You're not sure if there is a mouse, but uh, <laughs> Kitty believes there to be one, and it is a source of uh, great consternation. Um, so, you know, you get to hear all about it. Um, Scarlet, are you still in the perennial, the glade? Um, yeah, she probably stays till after nightfall. Um, then she would make. If, then she would make her way back. Okay, you'd probably meet Flag on the way like halfway between the glade and uh, the cabin, flag would be intercepting you. Okay. Everything all right? Yeah, just uh, lost, totally lost track of time, but I think I'm getting there, you know? It's I'm getting a lot closer, and she walks past him. Well, good. 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 That's good stuff. <laughs> it's real good. She keeps hey, walking. Right. He falls in step behind her. He doesn't kind of pull up to the like shoulder to shoulder. You didn't see anything out there, specifically like a, a, a skinny guy, like tall, skinny. No, skinny. why? 
Ah, good. Just ask if you see anybody like that. Don't just. There's not a big problem, but I'll tell you all about. Just stay. Keep some space. Just you know. Okay. You got your you got your guns. I mean, but I'm that's not you don't need them. I'm just saying. Fly casual. She just keeps walking. All right. You seen JD? I know he's across, but. No, I haven't seen anyone. All right, I go in there and get a uh, a drink. I'm going. I'm sure he's he's in that lean too. He ain't can't see what time of the day. It is. I'm gonna go get him. But uh, you go ahead. Jilly okay. tonight. Oh, great, cool, thanks. He, he starts walking off. Now, see, there's an easy one. That, that one gets along. I understand. I understand what's going on. I don't get to hear. You just hear him kind of muttering to himself, <laughs> pleased that he is not, you know, having to. At least one of them's falling in line and doing the right shit. And that's good for him. That's good. Randy thinks he's made some progress. Um, JD, where are you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know exactly where JD is other than, um, I guess, trying to... Yeah, trying to accomplish his goal um, with his new partner, uh, trying to trying to uh, help the the ferryman. Don't know exactly how the best way to approach that is, but okay. Well, you know what? Uh, because Heather and JD are very similar in their approaches. They both like books. They both have that kind of um, that knowledge in which to draw from, as far as. Um, and you are already in very close proximity. So when you would come out of the lean-to, if you were to look around, well, the highest place to get a good lay of the land, so to speak, would be Heather's waterfall. Would you want to climb up? You could even see Heather leaving as you see her finish up her day. Yeah. Yeah, I'll head that way. And do you climb? I mean, you've again, you two have been together and going to the relatively the same place for a week. So you've seen Heather, you know, jumping off and all that stuff. You know where the the, the ledges are. You know how to get up them. Yeah, I'll, I'll climb up to see so I can get a better look. You get up there and you look around and roll me and investigate, but you don't have to because you already have a free one if you want to use it. Hmm. I will roll. I think that's good. Two successes. Fantastic. As you look around, and again, the light's dying up here, but as you kind of risen up a little bit, there's not the same level of twilight gloom that you have down at the the forest floor. So as you look around, you see everything that I described to to Melissa before that Heather would have seen. Distant peaks. The, the various seasons, the winding nature of Eternity Road going kind of ribboning through this whole area that you can see. And again, you would also experience that crispness of vision when you reach this altitude. You can see like the eagle up here. Mm. And as you look around, you see a couple things. One, you see a singular traveler walking on Eternity Road. And even from this distance, you can see the red boots that she's wearing. The cat is kind of creeping out of her canvas bag. But farther up the road, and again, it could be a mile, it could be 10. You can't really discern because of your vision while lending detail 
also takes away sort of like a depth perception. Um, it's like looking through a telescope. Everything looks crisp, but you're not sure exactly how far away you are from everything. Um, you see the ferryman. And you see the three travelers that he is escorting. And they all seem to be sitting down on the road for what would in all likelihood being like camping for the night, but they are remaining on the road. And when you would get up there, the ring would say, they're resting. Yeah. Would be a good time to catch up to him. That's for sure. But I don't know how to traverse the road. Um, and the ring, almost like he's pointing, if we were to go down off of the far side of the lake and we keep this peak and waterfall back and over our right shoulder, we should be able to beeline it to the road and head them off. Yes, we wouldn't need the road. We could use the forest to get there. But I don't know what dangers lurk inside the forest. Good thing we can be hidden. Good thing. And you can almost feel the ring smile. I think um, even for people, like if there was a camera being pointed at uh, Jesse's face, the the feeling of the ring smile actually comes out in his smile. Yeah. So um, we're being, let's go. Yeah, the cinematography here is if there is a smile of a ring and a smile of JD, they are superimposed over one another with the same strength. And then he just starts heading that way. Great. Um, so you climb down. You Could I use my one investigation to bank and try to... Um, maybe spot the details of one of the people or all of the people who are with the ferryman as of right now. Yeah. You want to like, kind of like eyeball one of the passengers or one of the, the, yeah. Um, there is an older woman. Um, there is a younger man who was wearing like a conical cap. And I tell you what, JD or bacon for JD. What would JD's ideal I mean, romantic paramour being if he was reading a book and there was someone mm. in there, what would he or she look like? What would they, you know, what would, um, that is a great question. Who, um, I think JD would be attracted to some, like somebody who, um, kind of kept to themselves maybe a little bit, but spoke up when um, they had something important to say. Um, and then in terms of like a physical attributes or something like that, um, I don't know. I think he, it's quite broad, but I would say um, middle-ish height, um, brunette, uh, glasses, uh, someone who's a little bit geekier. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was just for Greg. The other person looks nothing like that. Fair. Um, they are, they are uh, very thin. Um, they look young. You're not sure exactly how old. Uh, Teenager-esque. Mm -hmm. um, long blonde hair. Uh, from this distance, you can't really see eye color. That's something that's just a bit beyond what you can see here. Um, 
But any of those people, um, any of those people you want to pay particular attention to, the older yep. lady, the younger girl, the guy with the conical hat. We'll go with the, um, the younger girl as she's probably closest to JD's age. Right. Um, so you're able to mark down her specific characteristics. She's wearing white. Uh, again, her hair is almost the same color as white, but there is a blonde tint to it. Um, her skin is both uh, very smooth, but tanned um, as if she spent a lot of time in the sun. But the thing that you notice the most and the thing that is for anybody ever in the history of ever that has set foot on blacktop barefoot, you know, it's a terrible, terrible idea in the summertime. Um, she is not wearing shoes. Cool. And I'll, uh, yeah, I'll start to head that way. Okay. So as you get down and as you kind of negotiate to the far side of the lake, which is a place that not, no one has been uh, so far in your journeys, you're able to, you're able to get over there. But give me one moment to pull this up. Okay. Um, you're able to get over there and keeping again what the ring told you, shoulder over to the right. You're able to make your way into this area, into the darkness of the forest. But as you get in there, you start to hear something. And this is where your investigative nature and prowess in this session will serve you best. You hear a whisper. He's not going to teach you how to use the rope. Hmm. He's no good. Look around, try and spot somebody. But I think if I'm in tree, like in a forest, I'm going to look up. And this is where your free investigate comes from. About 20 feet away in the branches of an oak, you see a thin man shirtless wearing a pair of brown pants with a beard all the way down to his waist. Portions of it actually tucked into his waistband. You'll leave you here. Who are you? You said friend. Hmm. I'll take it like a, a step away fr from him. So, uh, you don't look like a friend. What's a friend supposed to look like? Inviting, I guess. Like EVT, I'm trying to save your life and the lives of those other suckers that he brought here. That man's never done anything that hasn't been for him. You talking about flag? Just nods. Hmm. I think we know that. I think we're moving forward knowing that. Maybe you can help me. Maybe. But that depends on if you can help me. Name it. 
I want to find the, the ferryman. I take you to him. Lead away. I need you to do something for me first. What's that? Something in that cabin I need. I think I already know what you mean. But why don't you say it just so I know? It's the bullet in the mason jar. Over the fireplace. Okay. I'll take you to the ferryman. You need the bullet first? Yep. I don't know if we have time for that. I can get you there fast. Where you're going, you won't make it by morning. Way I take you, we make it by midnight. Things get real fun at midnight. Is there a way for me to tell, um, you know, how honest? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Empathizes insight. So, all right. I'll go ahead and roll that if I can. You may. Absolutely. Hmm. Pride. (laughs) Luck. Bush. Don't have any more luck. I will. I'll go ahead and push. What condition do you want to take? It would have been scared. Okay. So or you, is, you, I guess. It is scared. Yeah. yeah. So you'll take scared. Um, but what you glean from this person in front of you is they are actually being completely honest. And you can feel the desperation coming off of that. The other thing that I'm going to give you here is. You can tell that this person doesn't have any intention of harming you. All right, well, let's fuck. Okay, let's go. Right. All right. And he runs off and as he's kind of leading you back through the forest, um, he almost lopes for a minute. You see like one of his hands go down and I kind of carries him as he runs. So he's like, you know, left foot, right foot, left uh, hand, right foot, left foot, Mm. left hand. You know, as he kind of lopes as he's running and you hear the ring actually say, be careful of that one. I knew one like him. Okay. With that, we're going to cut back to the cabin. As, um, you know, he hasn't, uh, but by the time Flag actually comes back, he comes in and he says, uh, JD must be out. I'm going to go out looking for him. Ricky, I need you to go out and uh, the three of you stay close to the cabin. Got it. I also need you up with lights in case he's gotten lost out in the in the woods. So, Ricky, get the lanterns, string them up on the pole that we use for the 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 clothes. Uh, just get what we can to kind of give him some reference points back here. I'm gonna go out as he's saying this. You see him strap on his gun that he got from Sears and Roebuck in 1923. Um, he puts it around y'all, but y'all promise me you stay here. You got it. 
no, I'm going to go with you. You've got, Heather, I understand, but you've got to stay here. Stay here with Big Purr, Van Halen. All of you just stay here around the cabin. I'm not, you know, I don't need to worry about somebody else getting lost. And then I'm chasing lost sheep all night. But you said there was someone dangerous out there. They're not dangerous. It's Donovan's just a, 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 a he's kind of kooky. He's just, he's J- off J- a bit. JD's out there with someone kooky? He's, but he ain't, JD's tough. He's going to be fine. He, I'm just saying that Donovan can be a kooky person. So we just need to, we need to make sure that, I'm going out to make sure that we nip this in the bud. And if it is him, I shoo him off and bring JD back. You have one hour. Well, shit. Okay. I can't even properly. He fixes his pants, can't even properly smoke. And then he walks off in the direction of the waterfall. An hour goes by. Now, I would assume that, uh, Ricky, you're probably on the porch or that area. Scarlet, you can be wherever you would like. Heather, where would you like to be? Just every kind of pinpoint where you would be in the cabin for me. Uh, Heather is emulating Big Purr with uh, her eyeballs glued outside the window. Okay. Scarlet. Oh, go ahead, Ricky. Uh, Ricky would have set up the lanterns, as told. Um, he would probably have even climbed onto the roof and hooked one onto the, the chimney, the highest point he can find. Uh, but he would sit outside, um, right on the porch, looking out to see if he can see anything. Okay. Yeah. So as you're all waiting, um, and JD, as you are being brought back towards the cabin, um, Donovan, apparently, who identified by flag, takes you around flag. So you never run across him on your way back towards the cabin. But in about an hour's time, you are all in the same area as the cabin. JD in the forest, everybody else kind of waiting for JD and flag to get back. Scarlet's in the kitchen. Okay. Is she doing anything in particular? Is she watching? Is she she is sitting at the table and she has put one scoop of chili into her bowl and she is sitting at the table a spoon in her hand and but she's not eating and she's just looking down at the table roll me and investigate am i still injured no i'm sorry you're not investigate one success when you look up at some point i know you're sitting there kind of you know middle distance staring and things like that at some point scarlet when you look up cross just over like the 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 cottage kitchen sink one of those windows that opens like a cupboard and for a moment you see ben's face and then it's gone I think she has a sharp in, like, intake of breath and she kind of like, like almost gets up and 
she just looks back down at her bowl. Straight down at the bowl. <laughs> right. Yeah. Heather, as you are pressed up against the glass and Kitty just can't get close enough to you, you know, to the point where if you're looking out the glass, Kitty's almost like behind you, like arms around your shoulders, like looking over your shoulder, you know, pressed up against you as um, this cat is, he's absolutely watching the outside too, but for different reasons. Is he looking for JD? Absolutely. Is he looking for danger? Fucking A, yes. And the definition of danger for Kitty is everything that isn't Heather. So Heather's here, danger is everywhere else. And so that is what is basically playing through all of this. But also, it's a lot today. You climbed a cliff face, you danced with a waterfall, and now you're being wrapped up by the warmest lion Probably ever. Let's be let's be fair. Big Purr is uh, quite comfy. And you begin to nod off. Catch yourself. Look up. You see everybody kind of hear Scarlet in the back a little bit. Hear Van Halen up on the second floor looking out that window. Eyes go closed and you kind of reorient yourself. Your eyes go closed and you open them up and you're in Garrett. You look all around. Kitty is gone. And everybody, if you could, please go to your Spotify playlist to the very last song. As you look around, you see Garrett, but it is old. It has no life. It is overgrown with dead root and weed. It's broken. And you find yourself staring at the paperback exchange. And its sign is on the door that says, closed but not forever. And a gust of wind comes down, catches the sign, and it flips over. And it says, open your imagination. Everything feels real, Heather. But Garrett feels dead. And there, beside the paperback exchange, in its black and white rendition, its lifeless form, you see a familiar figure. As Mitch walks out the door, you two see each other. the hell? Hi. It has been seven days since you took the loop. Seven days of being alone. You're that... You're that girl. 
you're, you're, yeah. We saw each other the other day. You're the boy on the milk carton. <laughs> yeah, I'm Mitch. How you can't. You can't be here. Well, yes, I can. I can be here. Why can't I be here? No, no, no one, no one, no one can be here. That's, that's the whole thing. That's the whole reason I'm here. But aren't you here? Yeah, I, I stole the loot. Uh, wait. I'm confused. The loot. It did. It did get stolen, but but we're here. We're in Garrett. No, we're not. Look around. Yeah. This isn't Garrett. Look around. Yeah. What this, do you mean? Um, okay. Shit. Um, cool. Um, so uh, imagine. Okay. Okay. So imagine you're at home and you have a VCR, right? And you're watching a movie and you pause that movie, but all the movie that you saw before and all the movie that you know comes after it still exists, right? But you're paused in, in, in that one second. Yeah. That's where we are. Okay. So somebody did something. Uh, I think it might've been me, um, but a different, it gets complicated. I'm sorry. Uh, someone did something and this Garrett, this right here, this one second of Garrett, exists by itself. Uh, I think it's 1987. I think it's in the summertime. I, I don't know exactly when, but I, I want to say it's right around the time that Predator came out. Maybe before, maybe. Um, but I, either way, this is one second in time that shouldn't exist. And I, as, far as, as far as I know, I'm the only one that can get here. So when I say you can't be here, Oh, I understand. I. It's okay. I think you're in my dream. Okay, cool. I'm really real, though, and I'm here. So. The people who are in my dreams, they are real. Nuts. Yeah, uh, you can start to see through Heather. Oh. Hey, you're going to wake up, I think. Um, Heather's going to reach out her hand. Uh, <laughs> you see Mitch look very confused, uh, cause he doesn't do, uh, <laughs> human intimacy. Uh, he looks over to you and he like tries to give you like a high five. Just hold my hand. I don't, oh, I don't okay. know how this works, but maybe, maybe I can help. Um, no, I'm I'm supposed to be here. I I stole the loop and I'm I've trapped myself here so that I couldn't. Okay, remember when everything went bad and Garrett? It was me. I was the bad guy, but I was older, uh, and the only way to stop it was to do this. I had to. Are you? I stole everything. You, no, but are you a bad guy? Uh, I don't think so. Not anymore. I I stopped. I stopped my future self by just dis destroying the. It's a whole. It's a timeline thing. And, and no, I'm still the good one. And he like shows. Um, a, a copper ring around his finger that has no relevance to Heather. Greg, I, does um, Heather feel like she's waking up? No. If you're the good one, hold my hand and maybe I can take you back. 
No, uh, I, no. Well, okay uh, then. I, I'm, I, I, I need to stay here. Or? Because when I was the bad one, I went back. And I have to do things different to not become that person. Oh, I understand. And also, if I touch you, I'm afraid I'll trap you here. Oh, I don't think you can, but I, I understand. I understand that you, you want to be one of the good ones. What can I do? How can I help you? Uh, how's Garrett? I, I don't really know how long it's been. Uh, time doesn't really move here, so I just assume it's been a couple days. Well, time is weird. Uh, for me, it's been a couple of days um, since we saw you last. I can only see Heather's face. Loop is gone. Yeah, I, I stole it. You're turning invisible. What can I do? How can I help? Just tell me. Um, I, I guess make sure Garrett stays okay. Um, make sure that everyone remembers what happened. The other people I met you with, make sure they don't forget. When I, when I get back to Garrett, I will, but I'm not there now, I'll, but I will. Okay. I, 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 well, good luck on your vacation, I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, just find my friends and make sure they're okay. Okay. Heather, you didn't hear that last part. Hello? She's gone. Fuck. That was weird. The paperback exchange door opens, and there is a dull tinkle from the bell. I thought you were the only one. You told me you were the only one. I thought I was the only one. I think You're she's not leaving, are you? I can't leave. We've had this discussion already. I can't leave. Are you crying? No. Okay. It's really embarrassing. Is that true what you said? You took the loop? Yeah. It's, it's sort of, it's kind of a mess. Uh, but yeah, I stole it. I guess, I guess stealing it, I guess, is technically the term. If Garrett is a unicorn, you just took its horn. What does that mean? It's not special anymore. That's it's just a horse. That's fine. When it was special, people like you tried to invade it. There was a reason. Well like to think that I've removed the reason for people like you to invade and try to kill people. Hmm. You remember oh. the part where you killed a bunch of people, right? I hope you remember that. Yeah, me same. No. You didn't take away what they were looking for. You took away what was keeping, keeping Garrett safe. I don't think that's true, because I was about to destroy everything. Hmm. We'll see. 
Will we? We're kind of stuck here. Heather, your eyes open up. Kitty is behind you. Are you okay? Uh, yeah, yeah, Kitty. I uh, just just fell asleep. Um, yeah, I just fell asleep. I uh, had one of those dreams, you know. I always have them. I always have them. There's mice are everywhere. They're in my dreams. And uh... no, no, I yeah, I have those dreams too. Mice, you know, they're scary. They're really be, be very scary. Sometimes they you really just are. have like yeah. terrible nightmares. But no, I mean, um, like the dreams that. Like way back, way back when you first met me and we used to go and play and we would, we would swim in the ocean, you know? Oh, I remember like it was yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Like then. And, um, you know, to get there, I, I had to, I had to go travel to see you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just like I traveled to see you. I ran, I ran all the way. You ran? Well, I had to, I traveled in my dream. I, I traveled and I saw someone. Were they a nice someone or? Yeah, it wasn't a mouse at all. Good, good. I, uh, good. Finish your thought, please. I don't remember what it was. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as we had this moment of dream talk with Lion and Heather, and we see Ricky assembling his watch we see scarlet staring into the uneaten bowl of chili jd in the woods with donovan the ferryman being consumed by his illness and the bishop the subject of what can only be seen as a death threat or assassination attempt dorothy gale wanders along eternity road Our story grows. Our friends are starting to see their paths. But a new verse begins. Enemies awaken. Our forgotten song of youth is being remembered. Word by word. Line by line. But if I leave, it is time for me to fly. Join us next time for Atari Twilight, The Age of Always, Episode 3, A Winkle in Time. And that, my friends, is that. We could just do episode three right now. Atari Twilight is an Unmade Gaming production and a proud member of the Unmade Gaming Podcast Network. If you'd like to support our endeavors and get some behind-the-scenes looks at upcoming projects, please join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash unmadegaming. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Thank you for joining us on this blast from the past, and we'll see you next time on Atari Twilight.